everybody. Welcome to our show. I'm Liz. And I'm Taylor. This is a podcast for and about the town we love. And now we're talking Darian. Hello and welcome. Today is September 30th. And today we have Jim Cameron, a local resident media expert coming in to talk with us. Expert is the appropriate word, Taylor. Good job there because this guy has done it all. He does radio, he does TV, he does print. He's a media coach as well. He was a pioneer. Before this was a popular term, this is what this guy did. And he lives in Darien and he also does this for our town. Yeah, I mean, he's revolutionized uh, town government by offering us Channel 79, which covers all the town meetings. I mean, it's just incredible the transparency that he has brought to this community as far as government goes and he to me is a is a shining example of unbiased media coverage. Um, his commitment to that is is to be really respected. I know, I know. So it's an honor to have him in here. He's in the studio, so I hope you guys enjoy it. Jim, thank you so much for joining us today. A pleasure, yeah. a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. I know. So, like as we kind of you know said in our intro or leading to here that is that we've got the full on media expert here, all things media expert. So to have something like this in our studio, Taylor, yeah, I'm psyched. Yeah. Check out the studio, check but, out the equipment. Like, are we doing this right? I know. Uh, who knows? Well, I, if only people could see the technology that you're applying to this podcast, they would be very impressed. I'm impressed. This really? is good stuff you got here. All right. Oh. Yeah. Are you, are you clean your glasses yet, Jim? You should. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut Absolutely. sometimes. I guess I got it right by accident. Well, that's true. <laughs> Oh, thank you. That means a lot coming from you. Um, and for our listeners that aren't as familiar with you, give us your, a little bit of your background about what you, how long you've been in town and what you're doing. So my wife and I moved to Darien about 31 years ago. Uh, we had just been married. We were living in Park Slope, Brooklyn, and we decided we wanted to get out of town. And I had, I'd grown up in my high school years in Dobbs Ferry. So we we're familiar with Westchester and I worked on Long Island and I said, no, I don't want to go to Long Island and I don't want to go to New Jersey. I don't want to cross the Hudson River. So I had lived in Connecticut years previously uh, up in Hartford when I was working in radio. And, um, you know, so we started looking up in, in Connecticut and um, long story short, we stumbled across Darien, which I'd, I'd heard of but didn't know much about. But when I got there, I said, this is the place. And uh, so we moved up about 31 years ago. What hooked you? Um, it reminded me a lot of Dobbs Ferry in terms of size. It's maybe twice the size to what is it? We're up to 21,000 people now in Darien. But not 30 years ago. Um, it was more in the 19 to 20,000 range. Wow. But we were like, uh, you know, so many other people had come to town. You know, the, the biggest industry in Darien is people moving up here to raise families and put them through the excellent school system. And that was part of the attraction as well, too. Also, it was commuting range from New York. Mm. And I was already working from home for my own business. But my wife was working in the city at that point as well. So uh, that was kind of, we drew a kind of 60-minute commuting circle around sure. the city. Yep. And that definitely put Darien in range. Okay. Trains were a little faster in those days. <laughs> yeah. We got to we gotta, we gotta get to that commuting part. But I got a question for you just in general, like 30 years, because we rarely find someone who's been here, who comes on the show that's been here for that long. Yeah. I got to know, positive changes, negative changes in 30 years. All positive. Oh, come on. No, absolutely. Really? I think, I think that that's part of the beauty of Darien. It has preserved its character for uh, over a cent two centuries now. We just had our bicentennial, right? Yeah. Um, and it's still got that small town charm. 
It is uh, redeveloping and growing. The population has grown. Um, you know, houses on our street were torn down and l- much larger houses were yeah. placed uh, in their place. Uh, we actually put an addition on our house as well, too. Um, no, it's absolutely, you know, all it has all the things that attracted us here. And I think it's even better than it was 30 years ago. Well, that's a lot of hard work of a lot of elected officials and, and volunteers behind the scenes, as you would know. Exactly. Running. And that's part of the, the charm. I had no idea. We... My wife and I, you know, say we were so lucky to move here. We had no idea that um, the town would be so volunteer oriented or that we would find a nice church or that, uh, you know, I remember the first summer we were here, we got beach passes and we went, this is like being on vacation. (laughs) You don't have to go to Cape Cod. It's right here. Two beaches. How sweet is this? I know. Um, be careful. We don't want to sell it too badly. We don't want to keep it somewhat quaint and small. <laughs> I mean, we're definitely physically blessed for sure with the beaches and the you know natural landscape. But I think the most amazing thing that I've discovered through this podcast is the quality of the people in this town. Like yeah. it's a really unique totally. community. Yeah. I know. And something the other day too, Jim said like, I came out on social media, I came across someone's like, we need this, this and dysentery and we can afford it because of the taxes. And I wanted to write back and be like, you Goofhead! It's because people are working so hard. We have so many volunteer organizations doing, like, raising private funding for our for our libraries, for our you know different museums, for our fire departments. Like, that's why we're yeah, still part of our taxes are being maintained because so many people are. Well, I, I I will confess to something I once said at a public hearing at the board of finance. Okay. And I prefaced these remarks, uh, you know, the, the Board of Finance does a fabulous job, okay? Oh, I thank you. Uh, I think they re- really, not just you, but going back <laughs> decades, decades. <laughs> you, I have no comment on your performance. <laughs> I'm agnostic on all that The stuff. diplomat to the end here. But, uh, you know, the, the town has kept its taxes low by being very thrifty in its spending practices. But... I went before the Board of Finance one year at one of the public hearings in the budget cycle in the auditorium filled with parents, you know, because it's mostly parents saying, more money for the schools. Right. And uh, I think that the town's budget is something like 72% goes to education, to the Board of Ed. Maybe a little less, but yeah. Okay, but it's it's a big number. It's a huge number. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, um, Jim Cameron, I'm on the RTM. I have no aspirations for higher office, so I will say what needs to be said. (laughs) Please raise my taxes. Stop being so cheap. Please build the sidewalks. Please clean up the beach. Please do the things that we deserve and I think we're willing to pay for. And um, Board of Finance kind of looked at me like, you know, (laughs) deer in the headlight. But I got a standing ovation from the parents. So, yeah, I want to keep the taxes low. When was the speech? Oh, this is maybe 10, 11 years ago. Oh, wow. You know? Yeah, I missed that one. Uh, I want to keep the taxes low, but I want the quality of life that Darian can deliver, you know? And so that's a whole other issue. But let me just segue off of that. To, you, were, you were asking what makes Darian so special. Well, by the way, it is delivering on that. We're, do we do that stuff constantly with our, with our well, the thriftiness? We, well, the thriftiness. But that. we've also got some sidewalks being built. And we've also fixed up the beach. You know, the yeah, Weed Beach. Yeah, totally. Weed very Beach looks like business. a private club. Yeah. You know, it's gorgeous, the yeah. facilities that we have. Well, this stuff takes time, too. I mean, we have so many people flushing in. It's like you can only keep up so quickly, right. you know, with what we... But. 
So for all you all you newbies to town that are <laughs> listening to now we're talking Darianne and trying to get a sense of what's this town about. The overriding theme that I think that makes Darianne so so, so special is the volunteerism. Yeah. You know, we have hundreds of people who are involved in town government who volunteer their time and their expertise to serve on boards, commissions, advisory boards, the RTM. And we wouldn't be anywhere near as successful uh, and keep our budget as low if it wasn't for all that volunteer talent. And I think people realize they like to give back to the town that has given them so much. Absolutely. Yeah. They we're all here. benefiting we're from, from, from everybody else's service to the town. And, you know, most of us are in a financial situation where we can donate time. You know, we're, we're not working two jobs to support our families that we can find that time, whether it's, uh, you know, getting appointed to a, a government panel or coaching Little League or something like that. I mean, the town would not be successful as it is and is such a great place to live as it is if it was not for all that volunteer work. Yeah, volunteer time and resources. I mean, the the amount of money that is donated privately for things like, you know, to the Fire Foundation. I mean, it's incredible. Yep, Volunteer uh, Fire Department, Post 53, absolutely. which I think is... You know, when those kids march, those kids, those young people from Post 53 Mm -hmm. march in the Memorial Day parade down Post Road, Mm -hmm. they get a standing ovation and I get teary. Me too. You know, I mean, these kids are, are, are learning and helping in a way that, I mean, give me an example of another town whose high school students are as focused on helping other people. By the way, I will say, like, keeping it local, this is a town that's self-sufficient. We run ourselves. We elect people. We elect our neighbors to be the decision makers. So that's why that's why we always are saying, Hartford, get out. We don't want, you know, we don't want yeah. the funding. We don't want, you know, we, we're doing a great job sustaining. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I, I agree. like having local decision making. Yeah, yep. for sure. Um, but yeah, about you and your role in town, like, I want to hear a little bit about your career and about Channel 79, because that's... I mean, it's it, the reason I think most people know you in town maybe is Channel 79 or, or maybe it's the column. I don't know. But give us that overview of your career and what you're doing now. Okay. So I have the perfect face for radio, as you can tell. <laughs> tell you I have was, an incredible radio voice. I do. And I used to work in radio. I, I came out of college. I went to Lehigh University, uh, worked at the campus radio station, uh, became an FM hippy dippy disc jockey. Mm-hmm. At WLIR in Long Island, and then in New York when City. When this? Oh, this is ni- early 1970s. You were not even a glimmer in your mother's eye at yeah, that I've point. Seen some pictures. We got to get some pictures. We yeah, got your I book. Got, I think there's in the book, right? A, we got to put those on the website. Some pictures in the book. Yeah. Uh, so then I got into doing radio news, and in Hartford, and then I went to Boston, and then I came to NBC News. They hired me to start a young adult radio network in 1979 called The Source. It was targeted to FM rock stations. And I spent two and a half years at NBC News. WNBC. Do you know what that is? No. No, no, they were not our affiliate. WNEWFM was our affiliate. Um, But we did newscasts and we did concerts and we did all kinds of special programming. And over those two and a half years, I won a a Peabody Award. And I decided it was time to get out. I didn't really like working at NBC News. Um, long story, unions, uh, the product that we were making was good, but it wasn't being cleared by the stations. Uh, so I did two and a half years there and I said, I'm out of here. I don't know what I want to do, but I can't stand working here anymore. It's just making me crazy. Um, 
you know, when you go to work every day and you're thinking more about the paycheck than the love of the work you're doing, yeah. it's time to find something new to do, you know? Unless that paycheck's really sweet. Oh, the paycheck okay. was pretty good, too. I can't <laughs> complain. Right, yeah. It was beneficial in that regard. But this is when you started your company. Well, that's when I started my company. And what I decided to do was I, I, I did that old Ben Franklin strengths and weaknesses chart. And people said, I, I, they always said I was a good interviewer. And I thought, well, I, I, I don't want to make a living by doing the interviews, but I realized that the people I was interviewing in the olden days who had finished a road tour, literally, you know, they had been on the road promoting their book or their cause, were better guests than the people who were just starting off. So I wondered to, the, to the, some of my friends in public relations, I said, do you ever, you know, when you send these people out to be your spokesperson, do you ever teach them how to do an interview? Yeah. Do you teach them the difference between a print interview? Oh, is this not a practice back in the day? Apparently not. So I said, well, I can do that. I can teach your people how to get their message across, how the difference between a short interview and a long one and a TV interview and a print interview. And I launched Cameron Communications Incorporated. Smart. 38 years later, I'm still in business. I'm still doing some training. I've taken on a younger partner as my succession plan, uh, but that's what my book is about. It's 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 a it's a selection of true stories of some of the crazy things that I encountered over the years. And your book, by the way, so people, it's called Off the Record: Confessions of a Media Consultant. Yes, and, and there's still copies available at Barrett's Bookstore. Mm, I love that. Um, and it's at the library too. You don't have to go out. And, it's on Amazon. It's on Kindle. There's even an audiobook version. I found somebody pretty good to do the audiobook. Oh, it's named Jim Cameron. Yeah, Jim Cameron. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was done cheap. It he worked cheap too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, thank so you for the autographed copy. That's my uh, that's my kind of professional background, and a lot of people don't know that. You know, they just know me from TV seventy nine or the column I write for the newspapers or RTM and things like that. But that's the day job that's been able to finance my other volunteer work. Well, I thought it was a kind of assumed, like, you know, I grew up, or Taylor and I are now in this, this generation where all these actors, actresses, you know, these guys, the, part of the gig is that you, you have a, a PR specialist that teaches you how to do That's part of like the package that you sign right. up for with your agent. But right. when you started this, that wasn't the case. So that's, that's fascinating that you're one of the pioneers in this industry. Yeah. And, you know, initially when I started doing it, I was kind of ashamed to tell my journalism friends uh, I'd, I'd crossed over to the dark side uh, of public relations. <laughs> but then I realized that what I was doing was I was giving journalists better access to people. For example, most of the people I train on the business side are not actors or stars. Um, they're CEOs. Um, they're chief scientists, chief technology officers in a variety of different industries. And in the olden days, they were, you know, being CEOs, they don't like to be out of control. They don't like going into a situation where they don't have control. And if they're being asked questions and challenging, embarrassing questions, whether by a journalist or an analyst or a client at a shareholders meeting, um, they don't like being put on the spot. So what I teach them how to do is be responsive to the questions, but use the interview less as an obligation to answer questions and more as an opportunity to come back and tell the story that they want to, to share. 
You know, so, I teach them how journalists work, what journalists need in terms of a story, how you can satisfy that need, but also make sure you're feeling comfortable about how to defer questions you shouldn't answer or you don't want to answer. Not in a deceptive fashion, but just to, you know, give them. And now that right. gives that empowers them. They go, wow, I actually, I guess I can actually control that. Totally. Now, Every politician needs that coaching too. Do you yeah. work with them? Poli- <laughs> no, I refuse to work with politicians uh, for yeah. a number of different reasons. Me and, too. But, that's a, that's a good rule of thumb. We should, no, I'm, kidding, politi- I'm, kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Politicians <laughs> just, jokes, just, uh, just ignore the question. You ask them about A, and they start making a speech about B. Now, why the journalist doesn't follow up and say, nice speech about B, but would you answer the question about A? They should. Yeah. Because I think journalists can get pretty lazy as well, too. Right, Um, right. We'd love so, your tips and criticism. And I was going to say, this. this is a good point. Like this is now it's time to reveal to you why we brought you in, Jim. We just want Uh-oh. a free training session from you <laughs> on how to better interview people. Read the book. It's all <laughs> yeah. in the book. It's all in the book. Well, we're actually bringing in this month, you know, you're, you're leading this month. It's a perfect intro to it because we're bringing in uh, all the dairy and political candidates. Great. I know that a lot of people have emailed and called and requested and say, can you please, we, you know, we don't know these people. We want to hear their platforms yeah. is the perfect outlet for yeah. it. You know, what do you think about? Give us some advice. What what should we be asking these guys? And it sounds like we should stay on them. With our well, first of all, I think it's excellent that you're doing that because this is a very important uh, election season that, that we're in the middle of now. Just drive around town, look at the signs, right? They're everywhere. Right. But we have rare opportunities to hear from these candidates. League of Women Voters, bless them, uh, does the candidates' night. But given the number of people that they have to put through that process, you might get three, five minutes with answering a couple of different questions. So there's that opportunity. Um, everybody writes letters to the editor of the paper promoting their clients mm-hmm. or their, their favorite uh, their favorite candidates. Yeah. Their clients, right? Mm-hmm. Their favorite candidates. That's not very revealing. Uh CT Examiner, which is a really hot new website that I, one of my, the places my column runs, are, are actually doing interviews with each of the major candidates and publishing those. Okay. Long form as well, too. So um, I'm not going to tell you how to do your interview, but I will suggest that you ask the same questions of each candidate so I can yeah. compare the answers yeah. as, a, as a listener, uh, give them a chance to speak. Um, challenge them a little bit ask them tougher kind of kind of kind of questions not the easy ones they know there's going to be a question about flooding you know they know there's going to be a question about uh, how the board of ed is doing with mask regulations and things like that but i think this is a wonderful opportunity because the other thing i'm really concerned about is we're down to one local newspaper now and the darian times uh, ever since Susan Schultz left, has become a shadow of its former self. Yeah, true. Uh, we have the Darianite, David Gurliacci, God bless him, one man band trying to you know cover that stuff as well too. Yeah, he's great. Uh, we have the the Daily Voice. Um, there's the Patch. Oh, the Patch. I remember when the Patch was like a real journalism site, not filled with clickbait as it is now. But, uh, you know, if somebody wants to be an informed voter and look at these candidates, they need 
they need greater access than even the League of Women Voters candidates night can provide. Yeah, that was the. Yeah, we're hoping it's a new medium for them to reach voters and in their own voice, their own words, yeah. and like yeah. not limited to two hundred you know characters or whatever it is. Like everyone's, um, I think everyone that is running is looking for a way to reach voters. There's so many rules about where you can campaign, how you can yeah. campaign. Yeah. Um, and you know, given the lack of media outlets, we're hoping this is helpful. Well, and it's incumbent upon all of us as residents and voters in Darien to do our homework. Yeah. I think we need to study the candidates and the issues and, uh, you know, not give a knee jerk reaction. You know, I always vote blue or I always vote red. Right. Uh, that's why I am unaffiliated and I have, I pride myself in not being involved in local politics TV 79, good example. I mean, I've been working with, with David Deaver. We founded TV 79 16 years ago, I guess it was. And I think it has, thanks to three different selectmen that I have, board, uh, boards of selectmen under, under whom I have, we have served uh, from both parties, uh, it has become an important um, information source in town. Uh, we are completely agnostic. We are completely impartial. We have a set of guidelines that we wrote for ourselves that were written or approved by the Board of Selectmen under which we operate. We have no political coverage. We have no commercial coverage. Uh, anything that we put on the air around uh, election time has to be hosted by a neutral third party like mm, the Louisiana voters. Yeah. So we will. We, so we you'll will air carry, that. You will. We air will that. carry Candidates Night live. I believe it's October fifth. Is yeah, that I think the night? So. League of Women Voters is having a Candidates Debate Night on October fifth, and you're going to yeah. carry it on Channel seventy nine. We will carry local it. cable. Just tune into number Channel seventy nine. Yeah, right? if you have Altis cable, unfortunately, uh, good for you. But uh, we're on Channel seventy nine, and it's uh, only available in Darien. However, everything that we put on that channel is also available on our Facebook page. And we stream it live. So if you're out of town, you can tune in and watch us live. We have a new website, DarienTV79.com, where you'll find all the archives as well, too. Every meeting that we cover is immediately archived on our Vimeo channel, kind of like YouTube. Yep. Uh, and I can turn around a meeting in two hours. I can take last and night's really Board of Education it. meeting, and it'll be up and available. Now... Board of Ed, I mean, this week's Board of Ed meeting ran three hours. I'm sure. You know? Yeah. And God bless know. the Board of Education. Anybody that, that, oh that takes God, yes. the pledge to serve on the Board of Education deserves a medal because yeah. that Agreed. is huge commitment of time. Just, yes. You know, and, and scrutiny. That, you know, yes. that's a, like a lot of hard. diligence. A lot of diligence. Well, and a really lot of, is. you know, anger and, and, you know, emotion directed at you no matter where you stand on anything. Like the, the number of emails that come from parents that they read and yeah i mean yeah god bless every single one of them for putting up yeah. with it and understandably so i mean as i Absolutely. said at the top education is our major industry mm -hmm. it's yeah. the reason people are here it's the reason so many parents watch the board of ed meetings live or watch the replays and i get you know metrics on who's watched what not who but how yeah. many people have watched right, right, right. what portions of a meeting and those meetings are widely viewed 
Well, and that goes back to your, your Channel 79 and the, the transparency that this town offers, right? The fact that you guys are are publicly allowing this, the whole town can access this information yep. and is a part of this. I mean, our, our self-government here is fantastic in that sense. And I, I have to give credit to Jamie Stevenson, Ugh, who totally. is our outgoing first selectman. Select, she doesn't like being called select woman, selectman. Um, she has fostered that sense of openness and transparency. It used to be when we started going, uh, we only covered the board of selectmen meetings. And I remember actually in the first couple of weeks I went down and I said, well, you know, we don't need permission. This is anybody can come in under the freedom of information act with a camera or a tape recorder or as a reporter, as a citizen. Mm -hmm. So I went down and covered a board of education meeting. And, and John Bolton said, what's the camera? What are you doing here? <laughs> I said, we're covering your meeting. Who gave you permission? I said, we, we, the state, the law, the Freedom of Information Act. So we, we expanded from covering Board of Ed, Board of Selectmen, Board of Finance, P&Z. And finally, Miss Stevenson at one point said, you didn't cover X, Y, or Z. I said, well, you know, we have limited resources. She said, I want you to cover it all. I want you to cover every board and commission that, that meets in public session. I'd like it all to be there. I want people to be able to see it and, you know, look at it. We cover the tree warden. We cover the <laughs> right, Darien right, right, housing right. authority. Yeah. We have had weeks pre COVID when we were covering 10 or 15 meetings a week. Right. Monuments and ceremonies, like all yeah, these different. Yeah, the Bicentennial Commission. Yes, yes. Now, you know, since we've moved to go to meeting and Zoom and virtual meetings, that's been, you know, a lot easier. But we have a staff of about six. Um, they're not volunteers. We pay them, camera operators. Uh, the town we, pays for that, right? The town pays for that. We also get grants from the Area 9 Cable Council, on which I serve. And that's money that's collected from all cable subscribers uh, across the state. And it's divided up. Interesting. Well, I wanted to circle back. I have to ask about, you know, this <laughs> the trendy thing to say bias in the media. Right, Taylor? We keep hearing this. And <laughs> do you think you're successful at being unbiased in the media? I mean, you clearly have opinions about things. And we you haven't got to Me your community. personally? Yeah, you personally. And, and by the way, there's two schools of thought in that now. Journalism originally should be unbiased, right? But now the new thought of journalism is that, um, is you know, I think there's a woman out of North Carolina that was leading this, like UNC, journal, you know, the school of journalism there, about like how it's a, her opinion, it's important to insert your opinion as a journalist because you're speaking from a whole audience of people that want to know that opinion. So I guess what I'm trying to get I, at I simply would, is not would, like... I would disagree with her completely. So Jim's got Channel 79. I think that is truly unbiased. I mean, there's yeah. there's no way that's biased at all. Um, the only thing we haven't touched on is your column, really. Um, tell us about that, because that is meant to be an opinion. Yeah, that's that's a commentary. It's not news reporting. And right. when I, I do lectures around Zoom talk, talks and I talk to the senior men and things like that about transportation in Connecticut, clearly I have some opinions on that issue. Um as I said, one of the reasons we moved here was uh, the quality of the train service. And I discovered after we had lived here for about six months that there was a thing called the commuter council that the legislature had created to give voice to commuters on Metro North because the, um, the Metro North and the department of transportation, uh, you know, 
they needed to hear from their customers. So I got appointed that. I served on the commuter council for 19 years, 11 as vice chair, four as chair. And along the way, I was writing, you know, letters to the editor of the local paper. And uh, Josh Fisher, who was the editor of the Darien News Review, said, hey, instead of writing letters to the editor, why don't you write a column? And I thought, okay, I'm not shy on opinions. And People I, are this interested in, in commuting, yeah. I guess. And, and Darien, I know we're a commuter town. That's, yeah. that's, yeah. that's a huge population. So yeah. uh, 14 years ago, I started writing a column every week called Talking Transportation. And it ran in the local paper uh, for... 11 years, and then I moved it over to the Hearst Papers, mm-hmm. uh, Stanford Advocate, Norwalk Hour, Greenwich Time, uh, Connecticut Post, and the, and the weeklies that they own, including the Darien Times. And I did that for five years, and I've just left Hearst now, and I'm self-syndicating to other news sites uh, around the state. I want to ask about that, but I still want to ask about your opinion, you yeah, being so a journalistic, your when I When I do these talks about transportation, I say I am an avowed columnist. Not, not communist, columnist. <laughs> and my, my role model in all this is, is Tom Friedman from the New York Times. And what he said about being a columnist as being from, different from being a journalist is he's in the heating business and the lighting business. The heating business trying to be provocative and say things that will get people thinking and the lighting business being supporting your opinions with facts. So I offer my opinions in my column, and they are always hyperlinked to source documents and other reading material if you want to you know, go to the original law, look at the links, mm. etc. So I do have a strong advocacy point of view uh, on behalf of commuters, which has expanded beyond just dealing with Metro North riders to also people on our highways, uh, the logistics of moving things from point A to point B. The column has now been renamed. It was called Getting There for a while, but it's come back to the talking transportation name. Transportation is is the reason this town exists. People would not move here, again, pre-COVID, people would not be moving here if it wasn't possible to take that train to their job in New York City. And that that train be reliable and speedy and dependable in all weather conditions. Right. Um, now, you know, the big question is now that we've been working from home for 18 months, are people going to go back to the office? Will they be riding as frequently as they used to? Even pre-COVID, when there were standing room only conditions on Metro North, it was that full. The railroad still loses money. Yeah. How are they going to survive? That's the question. Uh, they have been bailed out so far by the federal government, but that, that spigot's going to turn off. Ridership is back to about 50% of what it was pre-COVID, mm-hmm. and they have not expanded service, and they plan not to expand service anymore until the new year. Uh, they had hopes, expectations that ridership would come back much stronger, but pre-COVID, <laughs> every single ride on Metro North on the main line was subsidized to the tune of four dollars and twenty five cents. Interesting. So your fare, even though it was one of the highest rail fares of any commuter line in the in the country, yeah, they're not cheap. Never covered the cost. That's the branch cool. lines, you know, some of the branch lines like the Waterbury Branch and the Danbury Branch and Shoreline East, which runs from New Haven out to New London, the subsidies were fifty dollars per passenger per ride. Wow. Holy. 
cow. Who's paying that? We are taxpayers. as taxpayers. So if the ridership, you're the finance person, Taylor. If the ridership is half of what it used to be, the subsidy is double what it used to be. Yeah. And who's going to pay that? If the ridership doesn't come back, the deficit cannot be borne by taxpayers. I don't think it's fair to ask people in Hartford to subsidize millionaire fat cats on the Gold Coast taking the train into New York City. So either fares are going to have to go up, service is going to have to be cut, um, or they're going to have to lay off employees. None of those decisions are going to be easy, and that's what we're looking at probably by the end of this calendar year. Yeah, it's it's a big question mark. It's hard to imagine how yeah. they're going to make this work because yeah. it seems like all those things are going to be needed, and so and I, still it might I have, not work. Someone has to ask these questions, you know, and that's my job. And the highest compliment I've ever been paid was by the current commissioner of the Department of Transportation, Joe Giulietti, who I knew when he was the, the president of Metro North. And he said to me once, he said, Jim, I may not always agree with you, uh, but you know what? You're always fair. You know, sometimes you'll be critical of us and justifiably so. Sometimes you'll support us and you'll say, commuters, you know, give Metro North a break. This is not something that they can handle easily. You've always been fair. And that just made me verklempt. I mean, I got a little misty-eyed and I said, that's all I'm asking. Just, you know, I, I want to be fair. I want to be equitable. Um, I want to call the shots like I see them, but do it in a way that's constructive. So the heating business and the lighting business, Tom Friedman, yeah, I deliberately am provocative. I say things in my column that people will go, what the heck is he saying? I've said that a few times. <laughs> but the idea is I want you to think. I want you to question your assumptions and get out of the box and realize there are no easy answers to the problems we've been facing. If there were, they would have been solved long ago. Right. There are hard decisions that have to be made. Well, one of your columns, by the way, that was super provocative, that got a lot of attention, Darian, was your, I call it the Amazon column. People said that you wrote on Amazon. Yeah. And, that, and, and, and the, the breakdown of it was everyone said that Jim Cameron praises Amazon and for a town that you know thrives on local businesses, we want to support local, we, we love our chamber. Everyone was like, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, I wasn't trying to praise Amazon. Well, the, the thought behind that was it was more of a column about logistics, you know, because we're all right now suffering from supply chain issues. So, you know, the idea was let's talk about instead of moving people from point A to point B, how do you move stuff? How does Amazon, when you click that phone, suddenly fulfill your order in less than 24 hours? And I'm fascinated with that. There were a couple of books I've written. One of it's them is, uh, is called uh, The Everything Store that really explains the whole process. I, I, I deliberately did not want to get into the debate about how they treat their employees or the fatigue issues that they have or the safety issues. I acknowledged that. I said, that's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm really here to talk about how they make those you know fulfillments happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I think we have to support our local merchants. I remember when um, uh, there was a little store next to the good food store. I think it was called La Provence. Uh, and oh, it's, yeah. it's featured, yeah. there, was, there were two French proprietors. 
And I would go in there and I'd use my French. I studied French when I was in Canada. And je n'ai pas l'occasion de français. So I'd go in there and I'd chat with them. And they were closing down. They were finally, they'd been there for 20 years. Yep. I said, why are you closing? And they said, uh, people come in here, they shop here, and then they go and order it on Amazon. And they said, you know, look, we're not a, we're not a showcase for Amazon. If you want to buy something, We've got merchandise. Come in here and buy it. So, yeah, I don't shop on Amazon because it's fast and it's cheap. If I can find it in town, I'm willing to pay more. We need to keep these local merchants. And you know, going. you actually don't pay more. By the way, you don't pay more in town. Like the, the difference, I, I've actually run those numbers all the time, and you don't pay that yeah. much more. And what's going to happen is Amazon's going to run all these businesses out. Then we're going to have no downtown, no culture, no, no, and then they'll hike the prices back up, and they're going to be relying yeah. on this. Well, yeah. let's face it. I mean, I think it is forcing. I love you know isolating the brilliance of something like Amazon and appreciating mm. it for what it is. That's why I appreciate your column, even though I do want to support local business. Like those are not right. mutually exclusive to me. I think that the, the the brilliance of Amazon has forced local businesses to evolve, right? To do things mm-hmm. in a new way that makes people want to get in their car and drive downtown. Mm-hmm. Like, no, you can't reasonably expect someone to drive downtown to buy, you know, laundry detergent anymore if they can get it for the same price delivered to their door. Right. Like, it's silly to say, well, shop local if there's no real benefit except some intangible feeling good about yourself. They, they need to do things differently. And I think we're seeing that. I mean, I love the Genovese approach to picking retailers that are delivering something unique that you're not finding on Amazon. Genovese, David Genovese. Now here's another, you know, I know he was a guest on your show. Uh, another gift to this town. I mean, Completely. a developer yeah. with a heart and a sense of community. And, a and uh, he, he has curated the people he has put into his properties to uh, really give depth and strength to this community from yeah. a commercial point of view. But I, I, I mean, mean I hate complaining, we're not Westport. Right? Let's just solve the problem. Let's we don't do this have, a new way. We don't have, you know, a 14th, uh, you know, store of, from the Gap. We don't need a Gap in Darien. There's plenty. You can order stuff you want from the Gap anywhere. Yeah. We've got unique restaurants. We've got unique stores. And that's because of David Genovese. Yeah. He has gone out and found those people and brought them to this town and curated. Now, they don't all work out. Some of them, you know, close and they move on. But he's always he's always taking care of, case in point, um, getting ready to do his Corbin District project. Way in the back, behind, and we like kind of deep in that little pocket of land there, there was a, ta- um, a shoe repairman. Right, right. I don't know what it's called. Darien Shoe Repair. Darien Shoe Repair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He moved it. Uh, he moved it. Before yeah. he did the demolition, he moved it. He said, this town needs this guy and his partner, these two old Italian guys that do shoe repairs. And he moved them. He moved them down closer to uh, Post the Post Road, Road in the in Roten Heights area. The uh, Roten area. Uh, so he moved them. He took care of them. He made sure that the town still had that service to people in this yeah. community. So you need your shoes repaired. Go down there. Don't throw them out. Don't eat them to well, you know, he's, he P2P is if you want. Brilliant for seeing that, right? For appreciating yeah. the threat that is Amazon and cultivating services and products that are not available online, like right. shoe repair. Right? Yeah. This is a local yeah. thing. So I, I do appreciate him for so many reasons, but yeah, I completely yeah. agree. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to yeah. talk at all about your move to the examiner? Sure. Um, I'll talk just a little bit about my uh, my column. I was working, as I said, uh, 
with the Darien News Review and then the Darien Times and the Hearst newspapers. And I did uh, five years at the uh, at the Hearst papers. And um, I, I decided it was time to move on because uh, part of the reason was that my beat transportation kind of evaporated during COVID. People weren't commuting. Sure. And the newspaper kind of said, well, what are you going to write about now if people aren't taking the train? And uh, I was not happy with the placement that they were giving my column. I used to be on the front page every Monday below the fold mm. on, the, on the daily newspapers and in the weekly newspapers. And uh, then it wasn't being run. It wasn't, wasn't showing up. So it changed a lot. I mean, Susan left. Yeah. And that, I mean, everything's changing that paper. It's, it's not a, it's not yeah. a small town paper anymore. It's a, it's a, it's a large town. It's not the voice of the small town anymore. So I, I had words what? with my publisher and I said, um, not happy. You know, you're, you know, you're not giving me, you know, I, I said, I'm doing this column and I'm not doing it for money. I'm doing it for eyeballs. I want people to see and think and, and question their assumptions. So uh, she said, well, you know, we're, it's our newspaper. We can do what we want. And I said, fine. And I, I also told her I thought that she was killing the Darien Times. Yeah, yeah. I said, in an election year, you're not staffing that newspaper. The editor of that newspaper, even when Susan was still there in her final days, she used to be full-time oh, Darien with a herself. staff. Oh, in the old days, yeah. It, it dwindled down to it was just her, and she was doing two different town newspapers. Yeah. That's not a way to cover this town. So, and she still got all the the editor letters in. I remember yeah. the last cycle. I remember all the letters got me from, yep. from what I had heard. I had a little and, nostalgia when he was talking about the his pride in being considered fair because that, she said something like that when we interviewed her too that yeah. she was considered like in the middle on that. What was her the, rating? Yeah, there's a, yeah, there was a report out there about that, her bias or whatever, and she's like, I was right in the middle. So proud of yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> right, that's, right, right. That's the job of a journalist, Completely, I think, to be yeah. agnostic about uh, you know what's going on in the news that that, that they cover. Um, so I decided it was time to move on. And what I've done is I've self syndicated. So my column has, has continued to run in CT mirror, which is an excellent, uh, online newspaper out of Hartford. I added CT examiner, which is from the Eastern part of the state, but has ambitions to get into Fairfield County. Okay. Um, another good online news site, both of them free, no paywall, no pop-ups, uh, none of that, uh, Fisteris about, you know, my column used to be hidden. You have to be a subscriber to the Hearst papers to be able to see my column. Um, I've also most, most recently added two uh, downstate publications, Greenwich Free Press, another great online site. The Darianite has always carried it. And I just added uh, another one called Westport Local. Oh, cool. um, the, the idea being, you know, I want to get people to read my column, people who, you know, are interested in transportation issues. And I got I get good metrics on that. I know how many people are, are reading it. I can always tell by the emails that I get because people aren't shy about responding to anything I've written, and I encourage that. Do you think these newspapers should be taking like a stance or like a point of view? Like that's why they have an editorial page. I think the right. editorial page should be editorializing, offering opinions and commentaries. And that's quite separate from what, what what news they they cover. Well, it sounds like some of these papers you read seems like they're just reporting the news. They're taking out and they're just like reporting facts and information. But other papers, though, have gotten. They feel like they they have an opinion on stuff. They're they're writing from a point of view. I'm not a like? fan of that. Yeah. No, I don't like. Uh, that's why I don't watch Fox News or CNBC. I watch PBS. CNN? Uh, I think CNN 
tries to be fair, but they have their, I see them moving more toward uh, obvious bias than they used to have. Um, my wife and I stopped watching um, CBS Evening News during the pandemic, and we only watch PBS, we watch France 24, we watch Deutsche Welle, and we watch the BBC. Yeah, it's hard to oh find gosh. like a good no, it's there. Like, it's station. easy. Oh well, it's not hard to find those outlets. <laughs> yeah, well, it's there, but you got to look for it. Right. You know, I want to it's get not mainstream anymore. Though. I, I don't want to be stuck in a silo, being fed information that supports my point of view. Mm. I want to be exposed to different points of view, and I think PBS, PBS is veering. I think a little bit off of the straight and narrow as well too and taking advocacy points of view but that's why i want to know what the british think is going on in america i want to know what the germans are saying what what's going on in france because i'm not getting that even out of the new york times and the wall street journal which i read every day as well too yeah you know you're treading into something that's near and dear to my heart right now which is diversity of thought in schools it's important. We got to preserve it I, in media, I journalism, have, in schools. I'm staying out of everywhere. the Democrat, uh, the Democrat and the Republican Party uh, candidacy uh, issues. I'm staying completely <laughs> agnostic. Trust well, me, that, both parties have come to me and said, "Would you say something nice about our candidates?" And I've said, "No, I'm oh, sorry, yeah, no, I can't." Not appropriate. I just wouldn't I, be appropriate. I just I think diversity of thought is something that needs to be preserved, and I don't think it's actually partisan. I think that the people who showed up, you know, recently at meetings to discuss that and, and defend that aren't necessarily all from one party. Um, mm. But anyway, I am curious, and I know you don't have an opinion and won't share it about the races this fall, but what issue do you think is going to define this election? Obviously, the issue of flooding, I think, is, is top of mind to people these days. Um, I think that's going to be an important issue. I'll tell you one issue that I, I think may bubble up. And I'm not going to offer my opinion on that, although I might write an op-ed about this. Um, marijuana has been legalized in this state since July 1st. And we're still waiting to see how the state is going to regulate sales. And whether or not uh, each individual town will use its opt-out provision to prohibit sales of legal, controlled, regulated marijuana and THA products in their town. Uh, I think the initial reaction from the Planning and Zoning Commission is very interesting. And we're going to have a public hearing on that. And I think that I just think that whole question may come up in the debate. We had a discussion about this at the, uh, uh, at the RTM. I'm on the Public Health and Safety Committee. And we started discussing that at a, a Zoom meeting we had the other night. Uh, I think that might actually be a campaign issue to see whether people are in favor of it or, or in opposition. Yeah, you're right. That's sort of running in the background. Not real front page news, but maybe no. it should be. Well, you know, it sort of speaks to the quality of the town. And yeah. uh, I'll, you'll see my opinion on all that. It'll when be I'm, interesting to hear what I'm the ready. community thinks about that. By the way, I'm surprised yeah. you have, you do have strong opinions. I'm surprised you have no opinion on education and curriculum. You've got to, Jimmy. I, I, you've got to. <laughs> I do, but I don't want to offer it in the middle of the campaign. Oh, okay. Right now. Yeah. Because I don't want to seem to be siding with any of the candidates. Okay. If you're I, gonna you know, God bless them all. Anybody that's as I said, running for board of education deserves a medal. Yeah. You know, whatever yeah. their point of view. If you're gonna write on marijuana, will you share your opinion on that here or are you gonna leave that for Stay tuned. Surprise. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. 
Thanks, awesome. Jim. It's well, so great having you. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the chance to be on here. You know, I feel like we've picked up some pointers. I feel like as, as interviewers, and um, we're growing up in your shadow. Thank you for the transparency oh, you brought to our community. Please. We're hoping to do it in a different vein through the podcast. Yeah. Um, and thanks for being so supportive and sharing your well. Tips and and I, you know, I'm so glad you're doing this podcast because, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who have come to Darien uh, in the in the last year who, you know, may, as we did 30 plus years ago, have chosen the town because of its quality of life and good schools and nice beaches and proximity to the train and things like that. But you're showing an entire other side of the town that people need to to learn. And, you know, there's no welcome wagon anymore. There's nobody that comes around and say, welcome to Darien. Uh, I don't know. Does newcomers still exist? Does the Y still do newcomers dinners? There was basically a welcome wagon until recently. Yeah. I, I just had it when I moved here like 10 yeah, years me ago. Too. Yeah. And we just did the YW. They still do that. And they're still, they're bringing it back, right? Good. I mean, they're trying to connect people and bring the community together yeah. through these things. So, so you need to, you need to, you need to find out who the, who the, who the players are in town, what makes the town so special. And I think that the, now we're talking, Darian has done a great job in terms of helping new people uh, find their footing in this town. And people who've been here for a while, you know, having a chance to hear the voices of people who they might see in other situations. Right, right. Well, you're definitely one of those players, Jim, so. Well, thank (laughs) you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming. 